Hey there, and welcome to the memoir my dad wouldn't write. This is a limited series of conversations between a daughter and a father about the things that make us family and the items in my dad's 80 years that have helped to shape who he is today. You know, he's had this incredible life as a cultural worker, poet, professor, an activist, and mentor, but he wouldn't write a memoir. So this podcast is a way to get those conversations on to tape and to find out exactly what shaped this incredible and complex and far from perfect man that I love, Eugene Benjamin Redmond. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to be radically honest with your father and to hold no bars, well, sit back and enjoy. I think you're going to find this fascinating. I decided that we needed to do an intro episode okay to kind of set off the series okay um mm. and i'm sitting here with my dad eugene benjamin redmond and yeah i i'm taping now dad <laughs> <laughs> and i just walked into his apartment which was pretty typically cluttered because he is an archivist uh, and I, w- I always call him a biblio hoarder because he loves, you know, uh, he loves written materials and he it's hard for him to let go of things. So we'll we'll be revisiting that. We'll be revisiting that in this series because there one of the things I admire about him is that it's easy for him to let go of. Well, at least it appears to me that that you don't dwell but in your physical space, it's hard for you to let go of things. What that's, do you What do you think about that? I, I think that's true. Um, I need I need things around me, and uh, I've always been aware of being a leader mm-hmm. from a very small kid, and uh, being a leader brings with it lots of responsibilities. Foremost, leading. <laughs> <laughs> right, but what does that have to do with the things that you're holding on to or not holding on to? And that's one of the core reasons for why I hold on to so much. Mm-hmm, okay. You know, you notice that every time you come to my house, I show you something. Yes. I give you something. Yes. Now, that's everybody who traps through this place. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and people look forward to it. And people drop by just to pick up something. Mm. They drop by, knock on the door to have four people. They say, you know, uh, they're visiting from Kansas City. You got a quick package for them? Oh, okay. okay. So and your everybody- packages your packages typically contain uh, a paper from your hometown, the East St. Louis Monitor. That's right. As well as other newsy items about culture and arts in the St. Louis metropolitan. In the area. In the and area. And anything that <clears throat> that pertains to um, locals or regionals that appears in papers 
that appears in written or visual form anywhere. Mm -hmm. For example, I have, I can show you another time, I can show you about a hundred big brown envelopes already stuffed, already ready to go in the closet back here. That your son mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and your cousins helped me with this summer. And at, these at are. At least a hundred because they're all listed. I can show you the sheet. Okay. Well, <laughs> and these are prepared for you to send out to various people. Right. Who you have developed relationships with over your exactly. life. Exactly. And they're called updates. Okay. <clears throat> now, that's what's written on the, on the bottom left, on the bottom of the uh, envelope in the left-hand corner. It just says updates. Updates. And Maya used to call them care packages. We know care, but Maya would always say, Especially when Maya stopped flying mm -hmm. and she wasn't on the ground. Mm -hmm. So she lost contact. Mm -hmm. she, uh, the last uh, 15 years of her life was spent uh, in terms of her actually moving about on buses. Yeah, and I have to clarify, when he says Maya, he's talking about one of his best friends, Maya Angelou. Uh, so somebody who's iconic and very famous, and he just blithely says Maya, like, <laughs> like you right. know, Joanne that works in the deli at the grocery store. So, <laughs> but look, I, I and, am, and I just want to yes. say that the people I am in touch with, everybody who touched me and whom I touched. As far mm. back as uh, I'm 80, mm -hmm. as far back as 75 years ago. Wow. So, so you're not just collecting your literature, your ephemera, your news, your culture art. You're also collecting my rea people. My realia, that's something of the... Right, right. That's cloth <laughs> memorabilia, right? Yes, your realia. You you're also... Harvard said, oh, you have a lot of realia. So mm -hmm. that's another word, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that you you build when you work with collections. Mm -hmm. you know. And, you, okay. and <clears throat> you are collecting people as well. That's right. Collecting. I call myself an anthology. Oh. You've probably heard me say that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've given lectures on we all anthologies. And we collect people. In fact, at the commencement address at SIU, I introduced mm -hmm. that, that idea mm -hmm. uh, that you collect them. And that's why I'm in touch with those people. And that's why they want to they want these care packages, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about everybody from Oprah to Harry Belafonte to Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. You just name them, Alex Walker, um, uh, the late Mari Evans, the late Gwendolyn. I sent Gwendolyn Brooks a picture of you mm -hmm. when you were 16 <laughs> in a package. Mm -hmm. You're standing near the washing machine in your, in your, at home in Meridian. Okay, in Meridian. Remember that with a dress, with a flower? So beautiful. And she wrote me back about how beautiful uh, uh, you you were. And told me that I should make a wall size. I got the I got the letter. Aww. Told me I should make a huge <laughs> picture of it and put it on the wall. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, that's sweet. Well, you know what? This and this, you're talking about the mm -hmm. mid '80s now. You know, this mm -hmm. is you know Gwendolyn Brooks writing me about a photo. I just included a photo and told her your age and your grade, 
and sent it in one of the care packages. So everybody I know has these care packages in their collection. And when you say everybody I know, you have mentioned some really stellar names. Right. But your list isn't just uh, famous people in culture and arts. It's also people who uh, you've, you've known throughout your life who may not be famous poets, who who may be uh, business people, That's right. who may be organizers <clears throat> in different cities, uh, cultural workers in different cities that the normal people wouldn't know their name. And that's right. When like, I, when like, I think like about Mark, like, I, like Mahmoud El Khati in uh, the twin cities of Minnesota, mm. who I use an example <clears throat> of a person most threaded into his or her community. Now there are hundreds of those mm-hmm. on my list. Mm-hmm. I know I can just call you off name for the next 20 minutes. They do what I do better than I do it in their community. Mm-hmm. And I admire them so much. I mean, I I almost worship them. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just call them off like that. I'm not, you know, pe- you know, they're like, like I was. They were the unknown Malcolms, mm-hmm. the unknown Kings, mm-hmm. the unknown Angelus, mm-hmm. the unknown uh, Fred Ahmed Evans, who... Mm-hmm. In Cleveland, kill mm-hmm. the unknown Panthers in Chicago. Sixty-eight murdered, mm-hmm. police shot through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they they are alive, or their children are alive, or their wives, or their husbands, mm-hmm. or their niece and nephew, or their students are alive. Mm-hmm. Doing it now, it's an amazing network. And you know what? This this will provide listeners with part of, you know, one of the many reasons that I think this project is so important. You know, the other day I woke up and I thought, he's forgotten more than I am going to probably live. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think part of the reason that uh, family members are hesitant to engage in projects like this one. And this one is part archive, part memoir, part conversation just between mm. a dad and a daughter. But when you commit to preserving it, you are openly admitting that this person won't be around. That's true. So I think that there are so many people, they don't get, you know, grandmama's peach cobbler recipe. They don't talk to granddad about World War II. They don't ask about, you know, great aunt's activism because they, because it is an explicit way of saying, I know you won't be here. I agree. And one of the things I'm going to say to you, what brought this up? You know, where did this come from? Because mm-hmm. we had tabled it for couple of years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was going to tell you when I was and I, I came out of the bathroom I was going to say to you mortality. Mm-hmm. Yours and mine. Oh yes. And once you have a confrontation with it mm-hmm. I'm talking about you in particular. Oh yes. You know, right? Oh yes. It, you know, oh I got to get these things. Every, mm-hmm. time, every time I feel some kind of uh 
tick inside. Yes. I go I go to the <laughs> I go to the envelope in there and do a little more work on mm-hmm. it. And I got a, I got something I got out of a Merced California paper that says uh planning your own funeral. Mm-hmm. Okay, I told Donnie about it the other day. Mm-hmm. Donnie said, Send it to me, send it to me, mm-hmm. you know. And so I pulled it out. To copy it, right? Right, <laughs> yeah. right. I and mean, I just, it, and this I, is twenty. Yeah. This is like twenty thirteen. I mean, it goes way back. And I just want to talk, <laughs> anyway, talk yeah. about what you were mentioning. Yes. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> he just mentioned what you've gone through. I'm actually right now waiting to hear back from a breast biopsy. <clears throat> so, I, you know, I am optimistic because the doctor you know, blatantly said, this is going to come back benign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and he has some sort of special training that has to do with breast surgery and breast biopsy. So for the doctor who did the biopsy and who would ultimately be responsible for any removal of the cancer, if it came to that, uh, to say it's going to come back benign, that makes me hopeful. Mm-hmm. But you're right. That brush with mortality did, produce this sense of urgency and I also wanted to say that when you talked about I put something else in the envelope I don't want people to get mixed up between your envelope quote-unquote packages that you send out he he's talking about his final wishes envelope that he has sat down with us and and made quite clear um which (laughs) which I get the sense isn't usual and maybe not usual in black families and not, it's not for people usual. to be as prepared as and you seem to be. It's not as usual in black families. And I, that's another, you know, kind of talk I do with people in my generation, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and with just black people in general, it's um, uh, that's a kind of... Um, it has African carryover elements in it because of the African view of the future and the past mm-hmm. uh, where you put more credence in the past than in the future mm. um, and uh, the future is <clears throat> the past so mm-hmm. you you have a long future but it's the past <laughs> like Mangoni Soroti, the South African poet, I walk with my back to the future. Mm. You know, I've mm-hmm. been there. I've got to stay with this, you know. Mm-hmm. And where do you go when you're lost? Home. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, uh, psychologically, uh, literally, physically. I mean, you go home so, to, to recoup. So Okay, yeah. so if I'm hearing you correctly... One of the you believe that one of the many Africanisms, Africanism being a term meaning these holdovers right. from our ancestral lineage, right, is a cosmology that collapses what's who's going to be born and who has lived and who is dead and right and who is dead in so much as worrying about the present thinking about uh, the minutia, the paperwork, mm-hmm. the yeah. the grids and spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. don't they don't take the precedent that they need to take. Well, you know what? That's interesting. And I think I definitely think that that's part of it. But coming back to what you and I are doing, what you and I are embarking on, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about what's made you hesitant to write a memoir because there you have you've expressed to me some real concerns about people's privacy yeah and to I don't know well I, I I well as I think about other memoirs from people from your generation other black arts movement poets mm-hmm. other um change makers and activists who um were working during the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, I don't know if they care so much about folks' feelings like you do. <laughs> what What is it? Well, <clears throat> for one thing, there is a dearth of memoirs among the poets, mm-hmm. although there's some famous ones, you know, Nick Giovanni and Haki and mm-hmm. some other uh, Tony Morrison is absolutely doesn't intend to do one. Mm-hmm. Ralph Ellison, I asked him in person, he said no. I mean, he was like <laughs> very curt about it. Mm-hmm. There's some people have it. Now, here's what part of, part of why I've been hesitant to work on a memoir is outside of memoir, you mm-hmm. know, the word I invented, mm-hmm. M-E-M-W-A-R, mm-hmm. which is just selections. And I think that um, the word memoir, O-I-R, and is better than, I think, an autobiography because, as Sonia said, people can call you on your memory. Mm-hmm. They call you on correction. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and as uh, Arnold Rampersand, who is sad, who is probably the best known black uh, biographer mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. world? Mm-hmm. He did um, mean, Langston Hughes. Langston Hughes. He did uh, Arthur Ashe. Mm-hmm. He did. Um, uh, oh God, what, uh, it, it'll come to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, really, he's the best known. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I talked to him the other day. Um uh one of one of the one of the stalling points is people would say when is he's a writer, so people would be asking why I would why I haven't and if I would write an autobiography. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and my sisters would say, Gene's not gonna do it. Because he loves his family too much to tell all that stuff. Because that's the view out there of what, you know, mm-hmm. what you're telling, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's what they said. Now, it was a, a while before I even found out mm-hmm. that that's what my sisters were saying and anything on the same mm-hmm. He just loves his family too much. He's not going to get in there and tell all that. But, you know, but, that and, makes and, me think of that quote, <laughs> if you didn't want me to write about you, you should have behaved better around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember who said that, but yeah. I recently heard that. Yeah. When, when, and that was that was some memoirist response to family complaining about exposure. Yeah. That's probably what Truman Capote would have said. <laughs> right. He was saying in his head. Because he lost, he lost more than 50% of his best well, the socialite friends mm-hmm. when he started mm-hmm. writing those muck records, you know. Mm-hmm. But, so um, you're you're not interested. <laughs> do you still no. feel that way, or or was that no, just no. something your sisters were saying? Well, I was feeling that I was sort of giving you. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But I'm 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 feeling better about it now. Uh, 
And I think one, the mortality, two, mm. having lived, incredibly lived to 80. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, yes. What is this all about? I know. You're like 120 years old in, in white man years. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, I mean, no I, was, and I was moving. I remember Trudia Harris was just one of the people that said to me, life is to be savored and enjoyed, mm -hmm. not to be sprinted through, Eugene. Because, mm. well, no, Trudia, I mean, but anyway, Trudia Harris. Mm -hmm. I didn't say something else. Um, so she used to she used to say that to me all the time. She just one of my friends who had hoped to slow me down. You mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, okay. so, 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 so you're so you're thinking about okay. that. Yes, and thinking about that sprint, <laughs> mm -hmm. and 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 having lived to be eighty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't explain it. Mm -hmm. I have explanations. People ask me. I have 50 explanations, but they still don't do it, you know. I say, well, you know, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I started eating differently, mm -hmm. and I lived on by myself, mm -hmm. you know, for for decades, mm -hmm. and maybe that Seventh-day Adventist diet was a kosher diet, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe that had something to do with it, mm -hmm. you know. I just kind of kept with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I never smoked or uh, uh, drank. Well, you know, I there were some things I smoked, but uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. I never. Uh, I I did drink, you know, but I I left that, mm -hmm. you know, let that go. So <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah, this is this is very fascinating. So I am ready, and then talking to her daughter now. Mm -hmm. When I started, you said to me one day that you didn't. You wouldn't be upset if I spoke about my sexual life, right? Even if I talked about your mother, right? You said that to me, and I thought that, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, you are you are very, um, uh, I mean, you are you have you have all the all the personal uh, sentiments and mindsets required to be a writer. Mm. Which most writers says very dangerous. <laughs> Morrison said yes. that, and Otto Rank, the psychiatrist, yes. said, "Well, you know, anything a writer writes is in him or her." Mm -hmm. And I immediately thought about uh, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, Stephen King. Any... <laughs> so he said, "If you write about rapists, it's in you. Mm. Not that you like, you know. Mm. I mean, I mean, it's." I mean, wow. the goriest things you can write about. Now, that's what the psychiatrist mm -hmm. said. He said, the goriest things inside you um, that you write about are in you. Mm. Well, you know what? That, and, what what yeah. you just so, nodded to is, you know, our familial collection, connection. And I think that that is really... Uh, I think that's going to be a powerful part of these conversations. You know, we're in a historical moment where women uh, really seem to be re-grappling because, of course, you know, black women in this country 
have centered people toward womanhood over and over again. Yeah. Uh, have you know created movements over and over again. So we're we're at this place again where where women are thinking about what womanhood means, where their power lies, yeah. and also thinking about their relationships with men. So this is this is potential field in a lot of directions this conversation between you and I because you've been a lifelong lover of women yeah um starting with your own mother who died when you were 9 and your sister my sisters my who, aunts I, I i don't i don't know other men maybe outside of my uncle my mother's brother who um Albert. Yeah, who who <coughs> I, I I experienced my uncle and my mother as young people partying together, going out to the Elks Club together, I laughing, arguing, yeah. right, <laughs> wrestling through their past together. You know, everybody remembering things differently. Everybody was the hero of the story. No, I was the one who stopped the fight. No, I was the one who won the fight, and that sort of thing. Him and you are two of the few men I've ever met who have treated their sisters like peers. Yeah. I mean, you felt protective, but there also was the the truth that you were the youngest boy, so several of them were older than you. Yeah. So they were kind of the boss of you for years. They were three older and three younger. (laughs) Right. Right. But then going into your romantic relationships mm. it hasn't always been a smooth road with that no <laughs> no you know one thing that um that i was telling your daughter my granddaughter when she spent a few days with mm-hmm. me a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. i said you know i've always been in love with your mother <laughs> i've always been in love i was always in love with your grandmother I was always in love with every one of my sisters. Mm-hmm. I've always been in love with my nieces. <laughs> I, t- I, t- I told you. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. some, something came up in a conversation with one of my friends we ran into in the store mm-hmm. on the street or somewhere. <clears throat> and I told her, and, and so she was just giggling, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I since she was born, I've always been in love with her. And I'm talking about you. So, and I wondered, like, so I was wondering that, about what what is that? Yeah. You know, where does it come from? And what is it? What is the and, ance- oh, and what's and, the and ancestral the, uh, lesson from you being surrounded by all these women? Uh, well, the lesson is this. One day, I overheard you say, my father really lo- likes women. <laughs> I told you yes. that, right? and I told Maya, and Maya said, "I flew to Maya not long after that." Mm-hmm. And Maya said, "That's the best thing I've ever heard." That told to me that came out of a daughter's mouth. Mm. Ever, she said, "There's nothing more important than that, Eugene." Mm. And I didn't get it the instant she said it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. 
But <clears throat> she really liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just liked it. You know, it's important on a lot of levels, but it's not without its complexities. No, so no. we'll we'll be exploring that. Yeah, as this, yeah, yeah, yeah. As this series continues, and I think I think I should wrap up now. Okay. I really enjoy letting people know. This is powerful. Yeah, yeah, it is powerful. All right, so that's me and my dad on a Monday morning here in the fall in the mighty, mighty Midwest. Um, So we will see you next time.